Welcome to The Positivity Effect, where paying it forward and doing something positive in someone's life can provide them with the confidence and motivation to do the same for someone else. Like a stone dropped into a lake, let's create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world. And it begins with your host, Dr. Thomas Retcher. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. Tom here. You're listening to the Positivity Effect podcast. Welcome back for another fantastic episode. I don't think I've ever whispered before. <laughs> guys, I have a great guest on, uh, somebody that, you know, we've been friends from a distance and now now we get to be friends on the podcast together, which I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. We have Paul Kim on the mic. What's going on, Paul? Oh man, I'm excited to be here. I'm honored. I'm a lot of things, man, but it's just good to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, guys, uh, you know, we're going to be diving into it, obviously, but Paul runs a, a brand, a podcast and a brand called Operation Dichotomy. We're going to be diving into what that mission is and also more specifically what dichotomy means. Paul, you know, you grew up in a church. You went through his pre-med you served in seminary, you know, as Pat, you were a pastor for eight years. Um, and I like that you could, you said it was your marriage that allowed you the opportunity to take part in the entrepreneurship. And that's where you are now, right? This part of your story where we're kind of now using technology to, which is, you know, incredible technology to be able to um, build something that's going to create, like what we say on the podcast, create a ripple effect of positivity in the world. Hmm. Let's dive into that a little bit, you know, being a pastor was obviously a very big part of your life. Yeah. Um, oh man, where to begin? I feel like. Where do we, yeah, where, how, where was, right? There's never like a, a, a timeline, but how, did, how have you compartmentalized your, your story, you know, of you making this adjustment to now where you're, you're serving people in this way? Yeah, I, you know, if we go back to, what we were saying about just how I grew up, I feel like that's the pastoral path and getting into ministry was really all I knew. Uh, I grew up in a Christian household. My dad was a pastor. Um, Usually with Asian Americans, what happens is, and this is very stereotypical, but whatever. (laughs) With Asian Americans, what happens is they go into... Um, they go into college with a pre-professional career where they're like, Hey, I'm going to make a lot of money or I'm going to do this, uh, noble profession, help a lot of people get a good career, et cetera, et cetera. It's usually medicine, uh, audiology, <laughs> business, <laughs> engineering, or pre-law, one of those things. And then one day that kid who's going through college would tell their Asian parents, Hey mom, I don't want to go through this pre-professional, pre-professional route anymore. I'm going to get into to ministry and then the parents flip out um, and then they fight about it for a while. And then he does or she does whatever he's going to do. But in my family, it was actually the opposite where I was pre-med and I wanted to go a normal, you know, normal Asian boys route. And then I told my parents that I'm going to go into ministry and long story short, they were actually very supportive of that. And if anything, they were on the other side where they would rather me go into ministry than medicine itself. Um, and I say all that just because that's that's the kind of culture and the bubble that I sort of grew up in. Like it's very Christian, very church bubble. 
I ended up in seminary. When I got married, the reason why I was able to get into entrepreneurship was because I I had to move. Uh, my wife was a resident at the time. Ironically enough, she's in medicine. So she was a resident at the time. <laughs> and I had to move because we had been dating long distance. And at that point, um, she couldn't come to where I was. She matched somewhere else. And it was, hey, it, we're either going to live together or in the same area or this relationship is over because we can't do long distance anymore. And so I made the only logical choice and I moved. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was I, I moved to where she was at. And because we weren't going to be there long term, it was more of a, a transition, I guess. She was, she was a resident in Albany, New York. So, I mean, you're from Long Island. Albany is, is nowhere you want Albany to be for is a long like time. Albany is like me going to Europe, basically. It's so far away. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it <laughs> it's like far, it's far away, like, like just a different lifestyle. It's so not, it, like you can have New York and you can have mm-hmm. Long Island. They could be two, you can actually wait. You can have three states. You can have the city. You can have Long uh-huh. Island and then you can have upstate New York. Right. I really it's a whole could, different country. Yeah, it's like a different country. So that's where we were, out in the middle of nowhere. We didn't think that we would stay there for a while, so it didn't make sense for me to find another pastoral position and then just leave after a couple of years. And that's when I, I got into a little bit of financial planning, um, all that stuff. And that was my first taste of entrepreneurship. And over the next how was three, that? Four, how was that first taste? How was it? It was, it was weird, man. Like it was, it was a whole <laughs> different world, you know. Like it's, I think my biggest struggle was trying to apply everything that I had learned for the first thirty years of my life now into this completely new field. Like, how do my values translate into entrepreneurship? How do my values? in terms of serving others and helping people translate into this industry where now I'm taking care of their money. And 30 years in ministry, I know Jack about money. And all of a sudden I'm learning like this whole, that's when my bubble burst, let's say. And so in some ways it was exciting. In some ways it was hard. Um, 99% of the time I didn't know what I was doing. In fact, 99% of the time now I still don't know what I'm doing, but I feel like that's part of the mentality that you gain as an entrepreneur is that you're always learning and moving forward. You have this concept, that concept about the bubble bursting. Let's talk about that. Um, does everybody go through that? Does everybody have that moment where their bubble does quote, you know, that metaphorical bubble bursts and there's like a, an awakening. Do you feel, mm. or is, is some people can go their entire life without that happening? I would agree with the latter I feel like there's different categories of people. Um, I think the rarest one is the people that are always living outside of the bubble. And what I mean by that is that they're always taught from a very young age to to be open-minded and to realize that your world is not it. And I've met very, very, very few people like that. But when I meet them, they're amazing people. I would say a large majority are kind of like me, where they'll go a portion of their lives living in a bubble without even really realizing it. And then something outside of their bubble, something circumstantial happens or the opportunity arises where that bubble pops. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh shoot, I've been missing all of these things. And my brand kind of exists to help people pop that bubble. But I do feel like another minority group continues to live in the bubble forever. Actually, you know what? Now that I say that, I don't know how small of a group it is because 
it's election time. And I feel like there's so many people who continue to live in that bubble. So statistically, I have no idea. Everybody's, everybody's plugged in now. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a whole different topic, man. Yeah. The echo chambers and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's so true that there's a lot of people out there and I've, and maybe us, you and I, at different points in our lives, like you said, you yes, you gave that example that your bubble had burst. But there's there's a lot of us out there that generationally too, like that you go through, you live a life, you ra- you get raised, you have children, and everybody still is in that same. Maybe they never leave their hometown. Um, mm-hmm. There's a certain way that everybody lives, and they don't see too much outside of that that bubble. Until yeah. maybe somebody, maybe they meet somebody or they have an opportunity to meet somebody that gets them thinking a little bit differently or they happen to fall into a trip and they go on this trip. I think it's definitely a lot different than it was 50 years ago, right? Yeah. So social media, yeah. everything is, you're able to talk to people on the other side of the world. Yeah. I think the other thing too is I found that traveling has become so much easier nowadays um, I'm not sure exactly what I would pinpoint and attribute to that, but it's the the experience of different cultures that helps us to realize that there are other people out there living completely differently. And I feel like the ease of travel has really contributed to that. And like you said, with media, social media, having access to different kinds of information, it really does facilitate that process. Yeah. Let's talk about um, just your before before doing operational operation dichotomy, um, why do you think your parents? It, why why you said you gave us the example that it's kind of that that stereotype that you go into certain, but they were very supportive. What um, maybe what was it about them or you and your family like that? They they were really supportive. It just they just happened to think differently than the norm. Or yeah, I think so. I think the norm for Asian American immigrant families. If you were to give you a little bit of background, most, I would argue that most immigrants come to the United States because they want a better life for themselves. And usually that means better opportunity, more financial security, just having the things that they couldn't have back home and they want that for their children. And for them, the easiest and most prominent examples of that is to to go to a good college, get a good career and have that job security, good pay, and even the prestige that comes with a good job. For my parents, they they had that coming here where my mom had built a pretty successful business. They were doing really well, um, but they ended up in ministry because they felt like that's where their beliefs and that's where God wanted them, according to what, they, what they'll tell people. And because of that, I think they in particular took their faith aspect more seriously. And so then when it came to, to my life, as much as they wanted me to be secure and financially stable, they also wanted me to value my faith more than quote unquote worldly things. So that that's what differentiates them, I think, from the regular Asian parents, um, which is why I kind of, I went through a unique path, I guess. Yeah. Are you in the same uh, mindset today that you were when you were in ministry? Mindset, yes. Faith, we're faith, talking about a, faith-wise, are you, do you, are, has your faith evolved? Oh yeah, oh for sure. 
And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that faith bubble where it's one thing to have the Let's beliefs talk about that, that you do. Let's talk about that. Okay. The, yeah, like the faith that you have in the context of the church looks very different from how that faith plays out in the real world, quote unquote real world, which is in a place where not everyone around you believes the same things that you do. It's like, it's like if you're at home, right? You're going to act differently, think differently, say things differently in the confines of your own safe haven at home than say if you're at school or if you're at work or if you're just out in public. And I feel like I personally never had that experience. Very rarely did I get the experience and the practice of applying what I believed out in the world. Um, and now I just got thrown into it and it's just been... It's always going to be a learning experience, but I think the last couple of years has really been an accelerated process of learning, full immersion, if you will. Yeah. I'm definitely no stranger to the faith. Um, I'm Catholic. I played in a Catholic church. I was a music minister for over 10 years. I actually just finished about a year ago. Well, I say finished, it sounds terrible. I mean, we... Basically just disbanded. It was kind of sad. I wanted to keep doing it, but the uh, some of the group had to kind of just move on in different directions. But um, for me, I, I guess like part part of my struggle is, uh, and this again, this is coming from someone that's, I, I feel I'm devout. I mean, this has been a tough year faith-wise, but um, that oh, that statement, right? My God, like I, it's my God. and And all faiths do that. It's like, it's a tough mm-hmm. thing when you have people around the world that believe in different things and each group says, no, no, this is, it's my God. That's the, the one it's, that's everybody is believing in that or everybody should believe in. Um, I guess about our faith, the Christian faith, I've, that's a part that I've always struggled with is when we come into that statement of saying, well, well, no, it's my God. It's our, you know, this is the God. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been stuck there or, or, how have you kind of uh, worked through that in your mind when maybe you meet someone that's uh, of that follows Buddhism or they follow their, their, I, I had a practice that was in um, uh, a, a very multicultural area of the, of the city. I sold it recently. Um, COVID kind of changed, changed my life a little bit. So I had to move my practice and there, there was a lot of people there that were Christian, but there was a lot of, there was uh Buddhism, there was Hinduism, there was Islam, there was a lot of different, there was a whole melting pot of different uh, belief systems. And um, sometimes when I, I, I was approached with that question, I didn't really have any any answer to that. <laughs> mm. It's tough. It is. Um, I feel like there's a lot that goes into that. When I was, when I was less, not that I'm mature, by any means. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but when I was less mature, um, I think I was more defensive of what I believed in. Like, no, my, my faith is correct. Yours is wrong. It's very much a right and wrong perspective. I can vouch for that. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's very common within Christianity, I think. I don't, I don't know how it is in other faiths. So I can't really speak that directly, but definitely in Christianity and the church, it's very much, I'm right, you're wrong. This is why. Let's get into an argument about it. I'm sure I'm going to win. But I think what I've come to realize is everybody everybody believes they're right, 
right? Everybody believes their beliefs are right. Otherwise, they wouldn't believe it. And we're not inherently inclined. Oh, I think this is only 20% true, but I'm going to devote my whole life to this quote unquote truth. Like that doesn't make any sense. Everybody believes they're 100% correct. And I think the, the interesting thing is when it comes to the concept of truth, I feel like there is an absolute truth. I don't know how people will define absolute truth, but my definition of absolute truth is it's just is true across the board. Like their gravity exists. That's an absolute truth in my mind. And I feel like with faith as well, there's going to be an absolute truth. Either it's your God or my God or no God. Only one of us is going to be right. We'll probably never know until the day comes where everything is all said and done, but there's only one absolute truth. And the reason why I feel like that mindset is so important is because when you get into a conversation with someone who believes something differently, at the end of the day, you can have that conversation knowing that whoever is quote unquote correct and whatever absolute truth is, we're not going to change that with the course of this discussion or the argument, right? And so I feel like my attitude now is, hey, let's explore what you believe and let's explore what I believe. And one way or the other, we're going to end up at the truth because that's what the truth is. And so I feel like adapting that mentality has really helped me to come into conversations more humbly. Um, it doesn't change what I believe. It doesn't change the fact that I think I am 100% correct in my beliefs. But at the same time, I don't go into it thinking that also means that you're absolutely wrong. So it's this weird dichotomy that I balance, I guess. Well, I like that uh, that concept that you uh, were discussing on one of your recent episodes with your co-host about having that relationship capital. <laughs> uh-huh, yep. Not being able to... You, you 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 can get into certain things, but you have to make sure that that's there first in place. You can't just mm. like walk up to a stranger and be like, you believe in God? You're, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't, you don't right. believe in God? You're crazy. Like, it's very interesting. I never really thought about it that way. It, it's why I guess we have certain deep conversations with, with people that we're really close with. It's because there's, you can... Right, you can be really close with somebody, and all of a sudden the conversation goes into this. It, it makes this turn where you can tell right away that you and that person are of opposition, and mm-hmm. you get that little feeling. You know, you get that little like little tightness in your chest because <laughs> that's yeah. your that's your ego rising, saying I'm right. But then you're like, all right, chill out, Mister Ego. Um, this is my friend here, and their opinion matters too. And maybe they're going to say something that might actually enlighten you and open your mind. And and I think when you're talking to somebody that you just met or you're trying to win, right, you're not even open to that opportunity to be enlightened or at least give you a little bit more perspective to how you see things in life. Mm-hmm. I think the important thing is the relationship that you have with the person. It sets the context for whatever they're about to say. Like if I'm talking to you, I know... I, well, I don't know you as a family member, but I know Dr. Tom as a an audiologist who serves people, who is looking to do the best for his clients. And this show itself is called The Positivity Effect. So obviously he's trying to spread, to spread positivity. It's it's coming from a good perspective. And if I were to talk to random Joe down the street and he's saying the exact same stuff, I have no idea what his intentions are. So there's no context for whatever's about to come out of his mouth. And I think that's the differentiating factor. Yeah, that's, um, I think we've all gotten in trouble 
<laughs> at one point or another, you know, all of a sudden you, you just kind of catch yourself in your, in your mind. You go, oh, I think I might have gone too far. Let me yeah. let me step back a, a few steps and, and cool off a little bit. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, we were talking off mic before, right? Like listening. It's such a, an important thing that we all need to be doing this this year in in, in for most importantly this year out of like almost any year that all of us have been alive this has been a very difficult year hmm. we need to all of us need to get back to that art of of listening to each other and hearing what that other person is really really saying yeah i think especially in light of politics and being an election year um it's weird. It's weird how we've come to this place and maybe it's always been this way where people identify with their political party almost as if it's family and a, a word like or a sports team, against, like a sports team, like, Oh, like my, my team, like, like you're actually yeah. on the jets and you're a quarterback and you suit up each week at practice. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the team that happens to be in your city. Like, yeah. <laughs> but that's how it is. And I feel like, especially in light, like they make everything about politics, right? COVID-19 is about politics. Masks are about politics. You hear something about CDC saying this and WHO saying that every other day. The so cure. is back to politics. The, the, the cure, the, the vaccine, it's, it's about politics. Right, right. When they're going to release it. about politics. Right. And... Because people hold so strongly to their their parties, they're unable to listen to stuff outside of what's being fed to them from from home base, if you will. And what that ends up doing is you you see the other side, which really isn't the other side, right? If you're democratic, the other side is not Republican. Right? We're all supposed to be American people, just have a little bit different perspective. But because we failed to listen to what's being said, we take almost everything out of context. And because we take it out of context, we turn the, the other person into the enemy. And then the community just falls apart, which is kind of where we're at today, I think. So back to your point about listening, like we just need to learn to listen better and more actively. We got to learn to close our lips put our opinions aside and just try to be open to the other person's perspective. And I feel like when this, that conversation actually happens where we're listening to the other person, at the end of the day, you realize you're not as different as, as we thought we were, as media tells us we are and we're not enemies. We're just looking at it from different perspectives. So, so listening, man, if, if we could listen better, our world would look completely different. Why do you think as humans that, we inherently are bad at listening. Ego. As ego, as adults, like as we get older. Mm -hmm. It's worse as we get older. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about grandparents, yes. uh, my parents even. You know how they say you can't teach your old dog new tricks. It's, it's the same concept. You can't teach them because they think they know everything. And Con a lot of Confirmation times, bias. Yeah. And they live for 50, 60, 70 years thinking that what they're doing is correct. Now, all of a sudden, the 30-year-old dude is like, hey, have you ever thought about this or thought about the other perspectives? Oh, no, 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 no. For 60 years, we've been doing it the same way. To admit that they're wrong or to admit that there's another possibility of doing things differently, that's a huge hit to the ego. And I think inherently, people are driven by pride. They hate to be wrong. 
it's just, it's just the way people are. Humans are broken. We're broken, all of us, in some way. Um, that sounds like a bubble too. That's that's just not broken. When you talk to somebody that's that is at that age where mm. they're not, they're no longer open to hearing another opinion. It sounds like it's not even a bubble anymore. It's now like a solidified sphere of. Yeah. I'm not going to say another word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the bubble got a lot thicker by that point. It got a lot, a lot thicker. Um, so, how? What was that? That for you? That that full burst of that bubble and and that kind of moment for you? That awakening or new thought? How did you start to change that perspective of of thinking? I think it was a process of events as I was nearing my the end of my time in ministry as a pastor. But one of the moments that stick out to me the most was when I met my friend Dylan. Um, I talk about this a couple of times on a few podcasts as well as just writing about it. But um, being in ministry, I, I was about 30 years at the time. I was living in Boston. So it's pretty pretty liberal, pretty liberal city. But I had never met a human being who was not heterosexual. It's just maybe they avoided me because I was a pastor. I wasn't trying to avoid gay people. It was just, I don't know. He must be the preachy, judgy pastor. I don't want to talk to that guy. <laughs> uh, which I don't blame. I don't blame people for thinking that. There um, is that. There is anyways, a stereotype there, right? Yeah. There's a reason why they think that, right? So yeah, they wouldn't years, think it. They wouldn't think it if they didn't want, you know, they didn't mean to, right? There's a reason they're thinking that way, right? Yeah. So let me apologize on behalf of pastors everywhere whose <laughs> <laughs> bubbles haven't burst yet. Anyways, <laughs> so I had been, um, as I said, I got into entrepreneurship and in the finance world, I met a guy, his name was Dylan and he was a gay black man. Uh, I forget if that's exactly how he likes to be identified. Um, Demi boy. I learned all about gender identity from him as well. And, um, uh, but anyways, I met this guy and we, we became great friends and we're still great friends. And I feel like the reason why that was so important for me was until that point, you have this concept of, of gay people and homosexuality and that becomes the identifier for human beings, for quote unquote, those human beings. But when I met Dylan and we became close friends, um, there's this whole story too about how he didn't want to be friends with me and he was on his guard because, oh, it's the pastor. He's going to you know, blah, 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 blah. But we got past all that and became good friends. And the the reason why that relationship was so important for my growing process was it's no longer this gay man that looks like this. It's Dylan, my good friend, who I love as a brother and we get along and chat. He happens to be gay. And it's such a small part of who he is as a human being. And I think that that really began to shape what I believed about different stuff where I would elevate these concepts and elevate these ideas in the Bible and create a human identity based on these, these concepts. But in reality, these things were just a small part of the person as a whole. And when step by step from there, different experiences, different people that I met, it really began to open up my perspective. It's interesting that you, you brought up this story about Dylan. Um, I just saw something from one of my friends in my in my Facebook feed a few days ago about it was a, it was a, a picture it was a meme and it said it's not gay marriage it's marriage. Mm. I found that very interesting. It's almost kind of along the same lines of what you're describing is that 
marriage. It's not, it's, it's like that, is there that label? Should, should there be that label there? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that answer depends, depends on who you ask. Depends, depends on, on who you ask. Yeah. Like what do you define marriage to be? Depends right. on how much the government should be involved in quote unquote civil affairs. And there's just so much to it. But again, like if we never get into a conversation about it, it's so easy to fight about it. Yes. Like we could, we could have completely different, different, different definitions of marriage. We're not even arguing about the same thing anymore. So conversations, we got to have the conversation. What do you do, Paul, when you start finding somebody that maybe you're challenging in a conversation? Uh, like if, if you see them starting to get a little closed off, how do you, how do you, how have you found, you know, just through evolution of, of maturing uh, to disarm them so that they say, look, you know, they feel comfortable again in the conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think to preemptively go into conversations, I, I'm sort of a nosy human being. I just <laughs> like to interrogate people. Uh, you can ask my wife. She hates it. <laughs> And so I tell them, Hey man, just to, just to be upfront, like I really do like to ask questions. So I'm genuinely curious. Feel free to just, just tell me to shut up at any time. So is it, is the sentence for you behind a great woman isn't even nosy or husband? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's just a nosy husband, period. Just a nosy husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think I let them know. I let them know that this is part of the conversation. And if I ever cross the line, just feel free to let me know. So that, that preemptively gets them ready for potentially not difficult necessarily, but in case I go too deep, I don't want them to feel not ready for that. Um, and then if it feels like it's getting tense, just I usually just apologize and then talk about something else. Just get them feeling comfortable again. Um, there's a concept called the elephant and the rider that we talk about where, uh, long story short, their their rationale is going to rationalize whatever they feel. So if in this conversation, oh man, like Dr. Tom is making me feel very comfortable. I'm happy just looking at his face right now. And then you say something off, like completely ridiculous that might offend me. I'm going to reframe that to say, hey, he didn't really mean it that way. He meant this way. Whereas the other way is, oh God, I hate the way he's looking at me. I feel like... <laughs> and then you're going to say something super nice and amazing, but I'm going to reframe that badly, right? Because my emotion feels bad. And so I think we use that in conversation. If you feel uncomfortable, let's talk about something that makes you happy. And then in that happy state, then we can begin to talk about the more uncomfortable things. I like that. As I, you know, for my day-to-day job is to help people communicate better with their friends, with their family members, with their loved ones you brought that up of this notion of seeing that person, right? Seeing, seeing my energy that I'm, you're receiving that visually, my face, my smile, the, the connection there. I talked about this recently, actually, I posted on my, my Instagram. It's, it's in my field, it's definitely very difficult to not see the person's face as we're making this like life altering hearing aids are a big thing for somebody when they've been, they've had difficulty hearing for so long. And now we're giving this, this sense back to them and it's a very exciting moment. And for me, just because I love connecting with people, I love talking to people. 
it's just been it's this weird thing. I, I now I even have before we leave, I tell the patient like if they're they're happy and it was a great appointment, I say, hey, let's take a quick picture together. And we we I have Carlene who's listening, <laughs> who's been secretly listening on the mic. Um, <laughs> we will we'll pull our uh, me and the patient will pull our mask down for a quick second. We smile and we take a picture. And it's just to go back and say, man, like look how like look how happy John was. Like look how happy Sandy was. It's and it's been crazy these last six months to just see everybody in this this faceless appointment where you just see their eyes. It's been very, mm. um, that's one thing, uh, that I f- see so difficult. I know. And again, it's not like, this is not like a, a mask or anti-mask discussion. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, right? Um, mm. but when we talk about this aspect of, of wearing masks right now and nobody seeing each other and how much information you receive when someone looks at you with their mouth and they, and they smile and you see the, the, the cheeks move and there's so much nonverbal that you receive right. from the lower half of your face. It's, I, and I, it's really put a spotlight on it for me. I've always knew, known that, but to see it now, how it's affecting me on a day-by-day basis, it's been profound. And then to add to that on sunny days, I've noticed... When you go outside, you have the mask on, and then you have sunglasses on on top of that. And like you walk by somebody, naturally, I kind of just smile as a hello. And then I notice that they look at me like they're not responding on a smile. I'm like, What's going on? And you just realize like they can't see anything. They can't see my eyes moving. They can't see my yes. face, my cheeks, none of that. And so I agree, man. It's been tough. I can't tell you how many times I thought a patient was like, like glaring at me and they were mad and then like maybe they moved their mask and like I could totally see this like amazing smile behind the mask and I'm like oh man Mm -hmm. I was totally misjudging that and misreading it (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's been tough it's been tough yeah so I've been keeping the listeners in the dark Paul let's talk about operation dichotomy like Mm. what what is a dichotomy so, oh man, let me, should I give a dictionary definition? Let's no, I'll just give you my definition. Let's, give, let's take Paul's definition. In this world, there are a lot of things that we view as opposites and that are vastly sap- separated and just can never meet in the middle. Like like black and white, right? They're, they exist on opposite ends of the spectrum and they're just, they're just separate. But... I feel like a lot of these ideas that we separate in our minds, they're not actually as separate as we think. And what we say in at Operation Dichotomy is we we like to view the world as black and white, just make it simple and clean. But in reality, everything is a little bit of gray. Um, coming from my church background, we we do that all the time. Like this is this is wrong. In every context, this is wrong. In every context, this is right. This is how it should be. No in between. And that, exactly. And that's the first indicator that this person who says that has no real world experience. None. Because if you really live the life of this person who might be, I mean, let's just, let's, let's go here. Let's talk about abortion. I'm not going to say what's right or wrong, but generally the church is going to be pro-life and abortion shouldn't take place. Um, and you take that and be like, no woman should have the choice to abort a child because it's murder. And I married a, I married an OBGYN. And so she sees all kinds of crazy cases that I never even knew was possible. And then she would ask me the same question. Well, what do you say in this case? Even with your, your, you know, moral and ethical clarity. Right. Like, can you say, it's like, oh, dude, like, I don't know. 
And one day I'm going to have her on podcast too, if she agrees to it. But that that whole like, Mrs. it's not Kim, black If you're white. listening, you need to you need to get on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Operation Dichotomy podcast. Doctor Tom um, seconds she, that. She, <laughs> shameless plug. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Like you said, it's all gray. It's all gray. And I feel like because we don't wrestle with the gray enough, we have this false, false perception of the way the world actually is. And because of that, we we just divide it, man. There's a band it's that I good. really uh, enjoy listening to. It's a rock band, Thrice. I don't know if you ever heard of them. And mm-hmm. uh, he actually has they, the band has a song called "The Gray," and I I, I believe it's it has to do exactly with what we're ta- describing. And he and he like the the main the lead singer Dustin Kensrue. He has a podcast now. You should check it out. I, I'll uh, I'll send you the link later. Okay. He came from a very traditional Christian background, and you can you you can hear like the evolution of the music. Over, they've been a band for over like twenty years, and a lot of the lyrics were very heavily Christian based early on, and then it becomes you hear this evolution of his faith. It's very very interesting, and the songs mm. just get so deep and so much more gray, <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better term, you know or um, I found that very, very, uh, for me, it's been kind of cool to, to grow up with a band that I've almost kind of was in the same place as him. And then over time, there's been certain areas that I've dove deeper into the gray of certain situations and analyzed it more, uh, less of from a black and white standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, um, what has been for you, like one of the greatest dichotomies that's got your head scratching in, in your life that you keep going back to in your mind when you're looking out the window and your thoughts are drifting off? For me, this is what started the whole brand, I would say. Uh, it kind of goes back to my faith aspect of, of God's sovereignty, which means that God's in control of all things because because he's God. And there's a one one group of people that think because God is in control, that means we are not in control. We don't have any responsibility. We're kind of just along for the ride. And I can see how that dichotomy exists because, oh shoot, is God making me be on this podcast right now or did I make this choice? And the reality is, I'm sorry to be like too, too Christian at this point, but Bible talks about both. God is in control, but at the same time, we have the ultimate responsibility for our actions and the work we put into it. And so that's always my struggle. Like how much I want to work hard, but at what point am I not understanding and really believing in the ultimate control of God himself? And then the other end is like, dang, I know God's in control. Am I not working to the best of my ability because I know that and because I'm using that as an excuse? And so to to bridge that gap and to operate with those two ideas at the exact same time to the fullest capacity, I feel like that's my biggest struggle. I'm definitely right there with you. <laughs> that's a tough one. Welcome. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. It's uh it's the the room is warm. Join us. <laughs> yeah, yeah man. man. That's a tough one. And do you feel that uh that that's been fueling uh because you talked about I don't know if we said this on the podcast or before we were we were before we uh, started recording. You recently rebranded too. You kind of um, the mission has been dialed in uh, and and dialed in further. You've really kind of focused it even more 
um, mm -hmm. very recently. What has been mm -hmm. that uh, adjustment that you've made with Operation Dichotomy? So the adjustment, we used to address just the whole concept of overcoming assumptions and realizing that what you believe and what you see is not necessarily going to be true. It's not always the reality. But the shift that we made is we wanted to hone down the context of that mindset more, not necessarily more to the Christian sphere, but I mean, we've kind of alluded to this a couple of times during this episode, but it's usually, it's a lot of times, not usually, the Christians who are the most judgmental, they're the ones with the the smallest mindset and the smallest worldviews. And it's not to undermine their beliefs at all. But I think the danger is when someone believes in something to be absolutely true, they then make the next jump to be like, then everything else is completely untrue and therefore is invalid and anybody who thinks these things are stupid, which, which should not be the jump that well, we make. Tony mm -hmm. Robbins talks about the six human needs mm -hmm. and certainty is like the, the first foremost, it's the most strongest one. Do you think someone, or uh, you, you just mentioned Christianity, do you think a Christian that's in that mindset that is very, very rigid with their faith is stuck on that level of, of a human need that it, they just, they want that 1000% utmost certainty in life? Mm -hmm. And there's so much fear to venture outside of that. So, right, re, the, the rule following, the believe everything to the T kind of thing. Not question, mm -hmm. not questioning beliefs. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I think the bigger problem isn't so much the certainty and then the the uncertainty that comes with with venturing outside of it. I, again, I think it goes back to the pride thing, where I'm certain about this, therefore everybody else is wrong, and it's that air of, oh, I guess, arrogance almost. That's what. A, that's the negative effect that it has. Um, yeah, man, I don't think certainty is a bad thing. And I feel like certainty actually provides us with a lot of hope and a lot of security. But once that leads us to think that we're better than somebody else, that becomes a problem. That's what's always bothered me. I, I'm, and I'm, I feel I'm, I can say this because I am Christian and mm -hmm. I do um, strongly believe in uh, the mission behind Christianity but that that concept of it that's bothered me that a lot of us can be so judgmental and not just willing to hear and and at least meet in the middle with other people of of other faith mm -hmm. um that's that's definitely always been a, a a point of contention in my mind i feel like i've definitely matured more over the years but um just seeing it sometimes or like coming across a group of people where you can see how quickly they can get shut down. It, you know, it, it's always been like, is that really what we were meant to do though as God's children is shut, is shut that other opinion down and not, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's the same thing right now. Like what's going on with the election and one person starts talking about this side, one person starts talking about this side and the other, it, it's, no, no one's hearing each other. Nobody's hearing the other one. Yeah. There's that, that quote that says, um, people are more concerned about being right than what is actually right. 
And I think that's exactly what's happening when people are on the opposite sides, it's just yelling at each other, trying to prove each other right or prove each other wrong and prove me right. They don't care what the truth is. They just want to be right. Yo, I, I think you just coined a new term. I think we need to all argue with each other so that we can prove prove one another right. <laughs> hey, we should. Right? Yo, I mean, let's, again, ar- like, let's argue, Paul, so I can prove you right, brother. <laughs> <laughs> the world would look very different, man. It would look very different. Yeah. Yeah, but people... I feel, like, So I think this is what gets me is... The reason why I would argue with you about why I'm or my perspective and what I believe in is right is because I would want to get both of us to get to the same truth, right? What's actually correct. And the way I'm not going to do that is by proving you wrong just to prove me right and then therefore make you feel stupid in the process. The way we change someone's perspective is to be able to meet them where they're at, empathize with them, but hey, I know why you're thinking this way because I was there too. This is exactly how I grew up. This is my mindset. These are the steps that were necessary for me to get from where you're at to where I'm at. And that's how people arrive at the truth together. But we right. do it wrong. We do it wrong. Yeah. Well, Paul, um, this has been awesome, man. Um, I'm. This has been a really deep conversation. I think my audience is really going to enjoy it. I know I definitely want to have you back because it's been uh, it's been really good. I mean, I'm in like that state. You know when you have a good conversation with somebody, you feel your body kind of like just like chilling out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I definitely can't attest to that, to, uh, you know, having like a, a nice glass of wine or something, because I definitely haven't had a glass of wine on this podcast. So I appreciate you. No, not yet. Not yet. No, I can't yet. I still have other patients today. I'm still at work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I really love, you know, uh, I've been following you. I love what you're doing. I want my audience, you guys definitely check out what Paul is doing. You know, follow him on Instagram. You can go to the website, obviously, operationdichotomy.com. But follow on Instagram. That's where you're posting most of your content. Mm -hmm. So we're at Operation Dichotomy. Uh, Simple, same as the website. If you want to connect with me personally, I'm at who is Paul Kim. I recently changed that to make it easier from the usual crazy underscore period. So <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. Very good. Um, so Paul, any, any last uh, word of wisdom? I said, you know, or words of wisdom for words. I had to wisdom. add that, that S, you know, I always talk about the S sound with my, my patients. I say, look, you know, when we get these hearing aids dialed in, you're going to hear the S sound so much more clearly. It's a high frequency sound. It's, it's above mm-hmm. 4,000 Hertz, Hertz, mm-hmm. right? You might hear, <laughs> you might hear the word ship, but you missed the word ships and you didn't hear that I pluralized it. So let's hear some words of wisdom. Words of wisdom, man. On our podcast, I'm usually the one that asks JD, the other guy for words (laughs) of wisdom. So this is weird. Um, Well, let me talk about listening just real quick because we are with Dr. Tom, the audiologist here who helps you hear the world as beautifully as it sounds. Oh, that sounds pretty good. I like that. sounded really good. <laughs> Very velvety uh, you too. Can, yeah, you can take that one. <laughs> um, we, we were just talking about this concept of listening on our podcast about how it's a gift. We, we think that the words of wisdom that we share is the gift that we share. Like, hey, I'm giving you the audience these wise principles and concepts to, to take into the real world. That's my gift to you. But in reality, it's your attention. It's your open ear. 
and ultimately the acceptance and acknowledgement of the other person, that's the gift. So as much, I mean, kind of ironic now that I'm giving these words of wisdom, but the real gift is just sitting and listening and letting the person be themselves and just freely accepting them for who they are. And I feel like that's going to be what builds relationships, creates unity, empathy, all the good stuff that we're lacking in this world. And when we get good at it, our community is going to change. Well, Paul, I can definitely say that you are a gift, my man, to this audience. I really appreciate you. Um, I really appreciated this conversation. Um, I, I needed it myself, as uh, those of you that have listened to the last episode. Uh, it's been a rough week for myself personally, and um, it's uh, this is definitely a good one. Um, I'm really appreciative uh, of, of your time, Paul, and we're definitely going to be uh, we're definitely going to have you back. So. Appreciate you, brother. Keep, thank you. Keep up with the good mission. Keep up with the good work. Thank Guys, you, thank you so Thanks much for you. listening. And uh, as always, we'll see you back next week for another episode of Positivity Effect. Take care, my man. Bye-bye.